Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to the, the book of Colossians, the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae, in which the Holy Spirit inspires him to speak to all of us. And we are going to continue working through this letter. And, you know, we've, we've already learned so much. We've gotten so many things that we've gotten as we go through. Last week, we began to look at the puts that uh, Scripture gives us. And I know that sounds weird, but, it, you know, sometimes you're looking for a title and a way to explain it. And really, this is the only way to explain it. He gives us this great list of puts. They are put away, put to death, put on. And so these are all commands regarding what it is to live the Christian life. And so last week, we looked at the puts that he gave us and, and uh, saw a couple of lists of characteristics, things that should be, we're supposed to be putting away in our lives, putting to death, uh, putting off. And so put to death sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desire and greed, which is idolatry. So to take an active role in your life, to put to death these kind of traits in you, to not just say, well, you know, I'll try not to be that way, but to work to put them to death, to put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. That language put away is to take off like dirty clothes, to cast them aside. And so we as Christians are supposed to take and, and put to death and put away these characteristics and these qualities that are not Christ-like. And once again, the words in, in the, the original language, put to death and put away, these aren't like options. These aren't, if you want to be better, you know, if, if you want people to like you, if you want to win friends and influence people, uh, you will do these things. If you want to be blessed, you'll do these things. That's not how this is worded in the original language. In the original language, these are commands. And so your king, Jesus, is commanding you to put to death certain things in your life and to put away certain qualities and characteristics in your heart and mind, to take them off like dirty clothes and to be made new in his image. Ultimately, that's where we got left last week was that there are things we're going to be putting on and that's called the new self, made in the image of the creator, Christ Jesus. And so this week, in chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, we begin to see the list of things that we are to be actively choosing to put on in our lives. So open up with me, if you will, to chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. If you have your Bible app, it should be in the events for today, and you can follow along there as well. And uh, we're really just today going to be focusing on these, this passage. Uh, not a lot of extra scriptures because there's a lot of meat right here. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And here is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae and what he writes to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. 
and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also, you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we move from that whole big long list of things to put off, put to death, take away from our character and our lives, and now we begin to receive from God some qualities and character traits that we should be seeking to see in ourselves. And so Paul begins with that word, therefore, once again, and some of your translations, it may say, so, and, and, and always, you know, we, can, we say things over and over again as teachers that you may get tired of hearing, but we say them over and over again so that you will get them. That when you see a therefore, you want to stop and say, what is it there for? When you say a so, when you see a so in scripture, the first question you should ask is, so what? Why is it saying so here? What is this transition all about. And so the therefore of verse 12 goes back to verse 11, that, that there is uh, not Greek and Jew circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, all of these old ways that we used to use to describe ourselves are now gone because our, our new life is defined by Christ and Christ alone. In, in Scripture, we, we, we find some really clear teaching that there are no hyphenated Christians, right? You're, you're, you're not a, a, uh, a liar Christian. You're not an a, 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 a adulterous Christian. You're, you're not a thieving Christian. You're not a, an American Christian or an African Christian or an Indian Christian. There are no hyphenations in your Christianity. You are in Christ, and He is in you. And so it's time to stop defining yourselves by old ways of thinking. And because you are made new in Christ, therefore, begin to behave differently and put on some things. Now he goes on to add this, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Now, it's important for you to understand something about yourself and about this community of believers. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have submitted yourself to his kingship and relied upon him for your salvation from sin, believing that he was the Son of God who came and lived and died on the cross for your sins and mine, that he rose again on the third day, and that all who believe on him will be saved. When you profess that, when you confess that, when you make him the king of your life and finally submit to who he is, you are God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved. These are powerful words that describe you as a Christian. 
Sometimes we tend to think of ourselves and, 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 and look at ourselves and all we see are the negatives and all we see are the things that we are that we wish we were not. All we see are, are the, the lowly worms that we know we are. We join in with the Apostle Paul and we say, yes, I too am the chief of sinners. But it's also important for us to look at ourselves in the mirror and see people who are God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. When it, when it says God's chosen ones, sometimes we might want to soften this and say, well, yeah, but you know, it's not that God chooses us, it's that we chose God. No, you did not choose God. It, and, and you might think, well, that's not fair. Only some people are chosen. And listen, Scripture is, is so clear on, on this that God knows those who are His. And He has, has chosen them out and He has intentionally done the work to save them. From the very founding of the world, he knows you and chose you and loves you and did what was necessary to save you. It is like going to the dog pound and picking the right one. You're the chosen puppy. You're the one that, that he said, I like this one. And, and, and you know, the attendant went, are, are you sure? It's a little chunky, and its legs are short, and it's got huge ears, and it has a funny smell. Are you sure this is the dog you want? And God's just like, yes, this is my puppy. You know, and, and you are God's chosen ones. He looked at you with all of your flaws. He looked at you with all of your struggles. He looked at you as you were and loved you and chose you. And it's not he saw in you some potential and some hope. No, he knows what you are. He knows who you are. He knows the struggles that are deep down inside of you. And yet he chose each and every one of us who have proclaimed the name of Jesus as our Savior. Each and every one of us. You should look at yourself and feel at least a little bit special because God chose you. And not only did he choose you, you are also holy. Now, we tend to think of the word holy, and we think of, like, pure, and, and that is true. Through the blood of Christ, we are all made pure from the guilt and stains of sin. But the word holy also means something different in, in, in a mindset. It set apart as special. Um, in our home, there are certain items of, of, of glassware that... If you are not a specific person, you do not use them because they are holy to that person. Uh, I, I have favorite mugs that, that are, if you are using my mug, there may be an issue. That mug, it is holy to me. I, I have a favorite pen. Actually, I have three of the exact same pen just in case I misplace one. But, but I will let you use my pen, but you best return it for this pen is holy to me. And it doesn't mean that this, this pen is pure. It doesn't mean that this pen is like, oh, and it floats along over the ground or anything. What it means is this pen is set apart from my special use. It is holy. You are chosen. You are set apart by God. He's like, this, this one's mine. And somebody else is going to walk in. Well, can I use it? No, no. This one's mine. Chosen, holy, dearly loved. The, the 
we, we get a picture of dearly loved. We think of maybe it's like, oh, bless your heart, kind of dearly loved. No, we're, we're talking about in, in the original language, it is a love, an emotion, a, an affection that is felt in the bowels, in, in, in the very depths of God. He loves you. Literally, it means love from the gut. And you know that's where you really feel everything, right? Is in your guts. You, 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 you get anxious and you feel it. You get happy and you feel it. You get emotional and you feel it. Not here, but here is where you, you actually experience it. And, and God's love for you is one that comes from his guts, now, not the literal bowels of Jesus, but, but, but in the depths of who God is, he has an affection for you. You are dearly loved. And so you, because you are God's chosen and you are holy and you are dearly loved, there are some things that you are called to do. And it begins with put on. Now, once again, you might imagine, okay, put on. This is, this is like a re- recommendation, right? Because God loves you, you should love him. I, I've seen the t-shirt. I think you were wearing it. He died for me, so I'll live for him. Uh, John was wearing that Thursday night. Great t-shirt. Not, but, but sometimes we have that mindset of, well, God did nice things for me, so I'll do some nice things for him, right? And, and the, the nice things are optional, But that's not what scripture is saying here. It says, put on. This is a command for every citizen of the kingdom of the Son. You are supposed to be putting to death and putting away some things and actively putting on other things. It is, once again, the same picture of taking off dirty clothes and putting on fresh clothes Clothes that are righteous and holy and look like Jesus. And so you are supposed to be, and I am supposed to be, and everyone who is a citizen in the kingdom of the Son, we are supposed to be putting on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, And ultimately, we are commanded to put on love for one another. And so let's look at all of these kind of bit by bit. We'll kind of break it down a little bit. What are these things? Because we read these words, and we maybe uh, don't process them. We, We have different translations that maybe even use different words to explain the same concept. So let's try and understand them one at a time. First, compassion. We are supposed to be putting on compassion. And compassion is deep sympathy for one another. And it is similar to dearly beloved. It is to have bowels of love for each other. And you might go, ew, no, I don't want anyone to have bowels of love for me. Maybe bowls of love, like an ice cream social, that sounds good, but not bowels of love. But, but you get, it's the same picture of when someone else is experiencing suffering or struggle, that you don't just go, oh, I'll pray for you, and then forget to pray for them. 
but you are actively putting on compassion and experience a deep sympathy for them that results in change in your life so that you take action. You see, you can, you can, you know, like feel sorry for somebody and that's nice, I guess, but to have compassion is to feel along with them in the very depths of your being and then take action to do something about it. And we are called to put on compassion. The second thing we are told, commanded to put on, is kindness. And kindness is essentially, as it's expressed in the original languages and in the, 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 this first century culture, it is moral goodness. Well, he's a, he's a kind man. She's a kind woman. It is that you are morally upright and people see in you the goodness of God. They see reflected in your character and, and who you are, God's very nature of goodness. Something that they can look at and just go, yeah, that's right. That there is an innate nature about you that is something's really right about this person. And as they walk into the room, the room changes. They bring with them a light. You know, Jesus, he, he says, we are the light of the world. Nobody lights a, a candle, nobody lights a lamp and then hides it under a bowl. A city up on a hill, it shines so that everyone can see it. And this is the kindness is. It is you are a person in whom people see light. But it takes a choice daily to put this on to want to be this, to seek to be this kind of person. Now, you're going to see that both of these, and all of these, in fact, these are not good works. Now, these are all things that result in good works, but this isn't a list of things that you're supposed to do. This is a list of things you are supposed to put on, and you become them. You become compassionate because you seek to be like Christ. You become kind because you seek to be like your savior, your king. Humility. A lot of times we think of humility and we think that humility is about degrading yourself for the sake of others. And that is not the case. In fact, someone who always is negative about themselves and is always putting themselves down, it's likely that they suffer from false humility, which is just as bad as pride. Pride says, I'm the best. False humility says, I'm the worst and everybody should try and make me feel better about myself. Which is just as prideful and self-centered as pride. But genuine humility is about having a right view of yourself. It's about looking and knowing that you are not the king of the world or the queen of the world, but neither are you a slug or a worm. Instead, looking at your life and saying, I am a person and I don't have all of the greatness, but I have enough to do what God has called me to do. I have influence over others. I have a sphere, a circle of people whom I can reach and love. I have a right view of myself. I know I'm not going to go out and change the world necessarily, but I can go out and change some people's worlds. I, I may not be able to, to make everything better, but I can go out and make some things better. To have a right view of yourself is not to degrade yourself and say, I can do nothing and I am worthless. It is to say, I may not be able to do all of that, but I know 
that I can do these things that God has created me for and equipped me for and given me the opportunity to do. Now, what's interesting is genuine humility is a uniquely Christian way of seeing the world. When, when Paul writes this to the church in Colossae in the first century, Greek and Roman culture viewed humility as something to be utterly rejected. Your goal was to elevate yourself to the highest status you could, whether by speaking or doing, to, to never admit that you were limited in any way, to try and be the best of the best of the best, sir. And it isn't that we don't pursue excellence, but it is that we want a right view of ourself to realize the place where God has, has, has given us the roles that he's blessed us with and to then do those things that we have been given to the best of our abilities and with the greatness that is in us through the power of the Spirit, but also not believing that we have to do everything. So a right view of self, a uniquely Christian perspective. We're also called to gentleness. Now, gentleness, we're told to put it on. And a lot of us think that gentleness means like to be a weenie. And this is, this is not, gentleness is not like, oh, everybody's, I'm here for you. That is not gentleness. That is not what we are supposed to be putting on. Gentleness is to be strong in the strength of the Lord, but to properly channel it to good ends. To be strong, but to be strength under control. Not a bull in a china shop, but an oxen hooked to a plow. That, that it is strength being channeled properly into right and good things. Not, not wussiness, not yeah, and just going crazy, but to be strong in the Lord and to point it in the right direction. Gentleness is strength proper to good ends, or channeled to proper ends. Patience, patience, we're called to patience, to put it on. What is patience? There's a, there's a difference between patience and bearing with one another. And, and we'll explain it here in a second. First, patience is to endure in a relationship even when it's difficult. This is not what 21st century American Christians like to do, do we? What do we do when, when, when the, the Sunday school class gets a little boring? What do we do? We bail. When church is something that we don't prefer, the music isn't great, or the preacher goes on too long, or that person in front of us has that annoying tick, that habit, they keep doing whatever. Yeah, like that. Um, no, <laughs> that that we, begin to, to, we begin to nitpick and we begin to, to say, well, this relationship isn't worth it for me, and so we bail. We live in a culture that bails on marriages. We live in a culture that bails on jobs. <laughs> it doesn't mean that all change is wrong. But it does mean that we as Christians, we are supposed to be putting on, actively putting on the practice and characteristic of enduring in our relationships. No matter how they affect us, no matter how we are struggling with them, we endure in them realizing the value of relationship. And then we get to, to bearing with one another. And, and the idea of bearing with one another in Scripture is one of voluntarily choosing not to retaliate when someone does something you either do not like or they hurt you. Isn't it easy to just retaliate? 
to get even, to get back at them. Sometimes that results in a lack of patience where we just bail on the relationship. But, but we as Christians are called to put on enduring in our relationships, and even when they are difficult, that we choose not to retaliate against people who maybe even deserve what we'd like to do to them. Now, the, the question is always, they may deserve something, but what do you deserve for who you've been? Whether toward others or toward your God, what do you deserve? And isn't bearing with one another much better than retaliating? Isn't patience and enduring in a relationship, even when it's difficult or it's a struggle, isn't that a beautiful thing to represent the love of Christ for you? When he looks at you, when he sees inside your heart, you would say, yeah, it would be fair if he just cut ties and ran, because I don't know that I'm worth this, but he doesn't. He sticks with you. He calls you chosen, holy, dearly loved. So we see these two things, patience and bearing with one another. They are critical to who we are as Christians. And this leads us to a point, though, where we have to understand not only are these practices critical, but the place where we practice these things, the place where we become these things is critical. If you are struggling in your Christian walk, if you're looking at yourself and saying, I am not the kind of person I know I should be, I am not growing as I should. I got to tell you, every one of these things ends up in get into the church. A deeper involvement in church, a deeper involvement in the life of other believers. And I'm not saying attend more things and and do, do more. What I'm saying is get to know the body of Christ around you and belong to one another and practice these things with each other. You will become these things as you get around other believers who are holding you accountable to them and who are encouraging you in them and are modeling it to you and living it towards you. All of this kind of growth is is predicated on the notion that we are supposed to be doing it not on our own out there, but together as the body of Christ. That we get to this next one. It it talks about forgiveness. We're supposed to forgive one another. And, And... Why does it matter that we have to forgive one another? Because we're called to be together. And so you've got to practice all of these things. You've got to become these to one another. It says this, uh, forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. This is not a, a command for everybody out there. This is a command and a guideline for everybody in this room, for other believers, for other citizens of the kingdom of the Son, that you begin to practice these, to put these things on to see this characteristic blossoming in yourself around other believers because that's where it's easiest to start. Now, hopefully, we begin to show this to the world too and everybody out there so that they see Jesus in us. But we start here. And if you're struggling to see yourself grow spiritually, to become more Christ-like, you're feeling like you're distant, you wish, you wish your spiritual life would just jumpstart, get engaged with other believers in a more meaningful way. Allow them to hold you accountable and and to be the place where you live out these changes that are supposed to be taking place in your life. Now, how are we supposed to forgive one another? Well, it says, if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. So how has the Lord forgiven you? Well, he has forgiven you freely, 
and, and without condition. And what I mean by without condition is forgiveness is, is built upon repentance initially. But you have to understand that you walk in a state of forgiveness from your Savior on a regular basis, even if you're struggling with repenting of and confessing sin. He, he does not sit up there and, and hold you in judgment and condemnation when you fall short. Instead, he forgives and then disciplines and seeks to grow you up. And so there's this free, this conditionless, this, this regardless of the cost to himself. What did forgiveness cost Jesus? His very life on the cross. Why is it so hard for us to forgive somebody in church when they frustrate us? when they disappoint us. Understanding forgiveness is something we're supposed to be putting on and not just doing because we have to, but it becomes a characteristic of who we are. And, and I know that's hard. Now, forgiveness does not necessarily entail allowing them to do the same wrongs again because they should be held accountable for their wrongs as well. But it does require each and every one of us, when we put it on, to forgive, regardless of the cost to ourselves. And then finally, it says we're supposed to put on love. Put on love. In fact, verse 14, above all. In other words, put on all these other things, but the thing that is most important is love. Put on love. Now, our culture has taken and perverted love and says that love is to take someone and approve everything they do regardless of its standing toward biblical truth. But what we understand is that genuine love always points people to Christ, always points people to the truth. That is genuine love. And genuine love is about being self-sacrificing and putting others first. And, and genuine love is one, not love is love, so do what you want, but instead love is of God and it flows from his nature. And when we love like he loves, we reflect him Love has standards in, in the sense of an expectation for morality and growth and perseverance and patience. And all of these other things are summed up in love. And love is what empowers us to be able to live these characteristics out toward others. And so love is critical. And then Paul begins to give us some other encouragements and commands. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Now, we look at these again and we read this kind of stuff and we think, the nice encouragements. We, yes, let's let Christ's peace rule us and let's be thankful. And, and we think these are like, like a greeting card kind of encouragements for one another. And I want you to see the words that are in red. These are commands. Once again, we are not just being encouraged to be nice people. We are being commanded to live life differently if we are genuine citizens of the kingdom. You do not have to do good works in order to be saved, but to good works and life change should be 
evident in every true believer's life. And, and so when we see this, we should be living this out. This is a command given to us. If we are genuinely of Christ Jesus, these things should be true of our lives. Let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. So let rule. Submit yourself to the rule of the peace of Christ. And so to rule is to give authority to decide every debate. That is what it means to let someone rule. If there is ever a question, that which you have submitted to and allowed to rule in your life is what you will always give the preference to, always give the deciding vote to, that which rules. Honestly, most of us were ruled by any number of other things. Our, our emotions, any, we don't need to raise hands, right? Who feels ruled by your emotions? Anybody here ruled by your stomach? Right now, it is 1149-ish. Who feels the call of king's stomach? Right? I mean, I mean we are ruled by, by things that are not the peace of Christ. And Scripture commands us, let the peace of Christ. And, and here is... The, the beauty, when we talk about the peace of Christ, is it's this genuine thing. When we are in Christ Jesus, when we are seeking him first, when we are putting him first, when we are putting him on the, the, the throne of our lives, and we are allowing his peace to rule, peace here is, is tranquility. It is wholeness. It is to bind together that which is broken. And so if we allow the work of Christ in our lives to bind us up, to make us whole, to be the final answer in all that we do, we are following Scripture as we are commanded. So if you have a question, you come back to Christ, you come back to the, the wholeness that He seeks to, for you, the commands that He's given to you to live life rightly, and they are always the deciding factor. Always. They become the standard by which you choose. And then, be thankful. Be is a command. Now we, we read, how do, how, do you, how do you, are you commanded to be something? It becomes a lifestyle, a character trait. Who you are. You are commanded to be thankful. And actually, the words there, uh, be, to be thankful, keep on being thankful. It is a daily, continuing, moment-by-moment moment action of being grateful toward God. Now, it can take some different, different uh, 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 practices, right? To, to genuinely just stop and say grace before a meal. That's one move for beginning to be thankful. Two, when the car starts, thank you, Jesus. And, you know, in a genuine, not, oh, thank you, Jesus. But, but to be genuinely thankful. To look around your world and to be thankful for what you've been blessed with instead of constantly longing for more. To look at the person that you've been blessed with as a spouse and instead of saying, I wish they were like so-and-so, being thankful for what you've been given. To be thankful in all things, to be thankful for the meal, the home, the car, the, the job, 
to be thankful for the salvation that you've been given. Be thankful. Take on the characteristic daily, choose, and it is a command. 316, verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom. Allow God's word to dwell in your midst. We are supposed to be seeking God's word dwelling in our lives, in our, in our church on a regular basis. And, and this is not an encouragement. A lot of times we think, well, this is just, you know, memorize some scripture, life will be better. You know, quote the Bible, life will be better. No, you are commanded to center your daily and your Christian life around the word of Christ. The word of God. You are commanded, brothers and sisters. We are commanded to let it dwell richly in our midst. How does it dwell? Well, these ways. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. So how does the the word of Christ dwell? It teaches. So we, we get facts, we get truth, we get knowledge, but we also get admonished. And admonishing, most of you guys, I had to look up what admonishing means. I've been reading the scripture for years. You know, admonishing, what a great word. What does it mean? It means to warn or to chastise. That we read scripture and we receive both positive things and things that it's calling us to avoid. Things to do and things to take off. Hmm, where have we seen that before? And so we read scripture and we let it dwell within us. And how does it dwell within us? Well, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Can you believe it? We don't just sing songs because we're supposed to. We sing songs because it's one of the means by which God's word dwells richly within our hearts and our lives. Which is why the songs that we sing are so important and so critical. Now, you know, I confess all the time that I am not perfect. I like 90s grunge. And some of you are probably like, ew. But man, I, I like, you know, Nirvana. And, and, and I like, uh, what's, what's, anyway, I won't go into all the details. But some of you are like, yeah, that's great. And some of you are like, you're a terrible exer and you just deserve to burn. And, and, but, but, but the thing is, is if I listen to too much of that kind of stuff, you know where my heart and my mind go? terrible places. And some of you have other music that you listen to. Stop trying to relive high school and instead live the Word of God. Find psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that you can sing to God together so that your heart and your mind dwell upon the Word of God. And that's why we sing. That's why we, 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 we celebrate together. It's why we worship together in song. It's, it's one of the ways in which God's word dwells. It's why we do teaching. It's why we encourage. It's why we warn one another. And ultimately, what are we supposed to have? Gratitude in our hearts. What is gratitude? Thankfulness. Where have we seen that before? Oh, right. Be thankful. Be thankful. And so an attitude of dwelling in God's word is one that results in and helps us with being thankful. Now, finally, last word of the morning, 317, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Even if you remember none of the rest of this this morning, you don't remember any of the list. You don't remember any of the put off, the take, uh, the put on. Remember this one verse. And actually, this will be a memory verse for us later this year 
and treasured. But to remember this one verse, whatever you do, what is whatever? What, what does it whatever encompass? Everything. There is nothing outside of the scope of whatever. Nothing. Whatever you do in word or in deed. Once again, let's just, this isn't narrowed down. This keeps it wide open. Everything. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what does that mean to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus? It means to do everything understanding you represent him. That he, every action you take, every move you make, and as a citizen of the kingdom of the Son, you are representing Jesus. And I want you just to think about what you've done the last week, just to go over your mind. And can you honestly say that in everything you did, <laughs> excuse me, you could tack on there, in Jesus' name, I do this, and it would be pleasing to God? And, and it would be rightful and not blasphemous or taking God's name in vain. Now, this is a process. This is a keep doing, keep putting things to death, keep putting things away, keep taking things off, keep putting on new things. And whatever you do, keep working to do it in a way that would glorify Christ. Do it in a way that it represents your king faithfully. This is a process that we will all be in the rest of our lives here, and we will get it perfect when we see Jesus face to face. But just because you're going to struggle doesn't mean you shouldn't. And so live out this verse to the best of your ability on a daily basis. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And this helps us to do this thing that we were commanded earlier on, to seek the things above, to set our mind on the things above. When we begin to look at what we're putting on and taking off from our lives through the perspective of, can I do this in a way that I can do it in Jesus' name and not be blasphemous? or using his name in vain, everything in our life, can I do this genuinely in Jesus' name and it be honoring to my king? That's how we set our mind in the right places. It's how we, we get the right perspective. And once again, we are going to struggle with this, but we are commanded to work toward it, commanded to make this a part of our lives. And it's because, as a, kingdom of the, uh, as a citizen of the kingdom, you are dead to sin. It doesn't have any power or authority over you if you just will recognize that. You are dead to sin and you are alive in Christ. And so everything that you are is his. But it's a big focus from doing and, and either doing good or not doing bad to being who you are supposed to be. Because if we look back at, at, at this second list of, of put-ons, we're supposed to put on this new self that's created 
in the image of Jesus. And what are all of these things? These are not actions. These are qualities of your character. And so, it's not that you do different things so much as it's over time, by the choices that you make and your submission to the king, you become a different person. One in whom we can look and say there is compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with and forgiving and love. And there is within you the peace of Christ that rules you as you're thankful and you live out the word of God. You change, not what you do. Well, what you do changes, but it's because you've been changed by the power of Christ in you. And so this isn't a list of of things to stop doing and start doing. This is a list of characteristics. Stop being this. And instead, be this in Christ. As we finish up, worship team, the worship duo, um, if you guys want to make your way up, today, last word, if you get nothing else but this one verse, if you were to live this, it will revolutionize your Christian walk, especially if you start living this in community with other believers. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you can't say, I do this in the name of Christ, you probably shouldn't do it. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Being thankful for all that he's blessed you with. So let's pray. And then we'll close with our last song in the morning. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And we pray that you would just allow it to dwell richly within us as we sing, as we share in psalms and spiritual songs as we hear teaching and then correction that we would, we would be affected, that you're, you would change our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you would cut us deep. I pray that this morning all of us are convicted. I know I've got some clothes to change spiritually. Help us to see the things that we need to put to death and to take off. And to see the areas in which you would like us to put on those, those character traits and those qualities that make us more like Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you walked in such a way that we could see all of these things reflected in you. As we read the Gospels, we see compassion and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. We see love above all else. And so thank you for the example that you set for us but not just the example. Thank you that you lived perfectly and you died in our place for the sake of our sin. You did not die for your own wrongdoing, but you died for those choices that I made this week, that we made this week, that were sins and rebellions against you. You gave of yourself that we might be forgiven. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're so thankful that you rose again on the third day to prove that it's all true 
and to tell everyone who believes on you that we too will have a resurrection and that new life begins today and will last forevermore. May we do all things in your name, Lord Jesus. And when we are doing things that we can't do in your name, give us the strength to stop them. This Christian life, it sure is easy and light. But sometimes it's kind of difficult to live out. Give us the strength to do so, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing our last song together.